0: mobile.io it's gone mobile
1: hey everyone and welcome back for another episode of gone mobile being recorded on november 6 2013 Uh, for this episode we're excited to have jesse liberty with us as our guest welcome to the show jesse
2: thank you i'm very excited to be here
1: uh, we're we're super excited to have you on too. Um, I mean, I'm sure many people are kind of already familiar with who you are and and what you've worked on. But for anyone who might not be, uh, can you just give a quick introduction for our listeners?
2: Sure. I work for Falafel Software, which is a small uh, but powerful <laughs> consulting firm. They are in California. I work out of my home in Massachusetts. I have worked for TELERIC, for Microsoft, Citibank. Sif Davis, AT&T, and for 15 years, I was on my own. So I've been at this uh, for about three decades, mostly working on delivering software, uh, for a little while working as a technical evangelist, and now back to writing software and doing some training.
1: That's that's quite a resume there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the reason we thought that it would be really awesome to have you on the show right now is... That you've recently taken the plunge into doing Android development, uh, especially you know in particular using Xamarin's tools, and you've been doing a, a really cool series of posts on your experiences. Um, I mean, for many of us who've kind of been working with these tools for several years, several years now, I and mean, it, it's always easy to forget what it's like to to be brand new to the Android world, or you know, this applies to any tech really. So we thought it would be kind of great to to take a real step back and and just start from the beginning kind of talk about what's involved in getting started you know so android fundamentals maybe some common pitfalls or advice for new developers kind of stepping into the the android and mobile world you know especially ones coming from a dot net background like yourself and and like we did too
2: yes and i will confess to you that I have not had the time to really stay at it on a daily basis. So I'm pretty much putting, you know, half a day in a week at it. I thought that this would be a fairly easy technology for me to pick up because I have some background in Windows Phone, not very recent, but some strong background there. And I've been doing C sharp since 2000. Um, so Xamarin seemed like the perfect opportunity. And it is, on some levels, a, a straightforward process. And then there are certain Android weirdnesses that, you know, definitely have an impact. And uh, the fact that its native tongue is Java is certainly better than having its native tongue be Objective-C. But, <laughs> yeah. but it but it has its own challenges. Uh, one of the first things I ran into was the emulator issue. Uh, fortunately, a buddy, Paul Betts, I don't know if you know him, but a great guy who now works for uh, uh, GitHub, sent me an email saying the first thing you want to do is get Genymotion. And so I wrote about that because that made a huge difference. Once you get that set up, then the emulator becomes very, very manageable.
1: Yeah, it's, that's definitely good advice. I mean, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when I was first stepping into the Android world and the emulator was just kind of the bane of your existence. And it's still, the normal emulator hasn't gotten too much better now. I mean, there's the x86 one, but, you know, I, I actually use the, the Jenny Motion one too. So I highly recommend
0: that for anyone who, you know, isn't already using it. Now, Jesse, are you on a Windows platform primarily when you develop?
2: I am. I have a Mac and I'm prepared... To do some development on the Mac when I branch into, uh, if I branch into iOS programming, presumably I will. But for now, I'm staying with Android and I'm developing it. Actually, I'm using Visual Studio, although the Xamarin Studio is quite good.
0: I guess one of the things that I was kind of interested in, and I haven't had too much of a similar problem on Mac using the Genie Motion and or even the, the Intel hardware acceleration. But on Windows I find um going back and forth between Windows Phone development, uh, do you have any issues with like competing like the Hyper V uh and the Jenny Motion sort of hypervisor running at the same time or, or have you dealt with that?
2: I haven't dealt with that because having been immersed in Windows Phone and frankly in the XAML world for oh I guess seven years, I'm now scrambling and working hard to retone my web skills, and so I spend most of my day these days in JavaScript and Angular and all the related libraries, and then about half a half a day is carved out for uh, android so i haven 't run in, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I could see how that would be an issue, but i haven 't actually run into it
0: so that 's actually really interesting that you 're talking about getting more into the web stuff um, what made you go towards the xamarin route i guess more than something like PhoneGap or <clears throat> some html5 css-based solution for doing mobile
2: i think the comfort level that xamarin seemed a natural fit for a c-sharp programmer and for a dot net programmer and i i have moved in and out of web development over the years for a number of years that's all i did and and worked on ASP.net and so on. But the last six or seven years, I've been very XAML focused. And Xamarin seemed uh, like a pretty natural fit. And And the alternatives were either not native or were uh, going straight with Java. And, and, and the non-native approach has, for the moment, has somewhat less appealed to me personally, Although at Falafel, we have a very strong philosophy that native and hybrid and web-based are all very valid approaches depending on what the user wants. So I expect that they will orient me towards learning more of the web-based development as well over time.
1: So then I mean, we talked a little about the the emulator setup there. I, can you talk a little about you know taking a little bit of a step back from that kind of what the the installation process and you know setup process is like for for getting up and running with the Xamarin tools
2: sure that actually was surprisingly easy and pleasant i went to the Xamarin site and downloaded what i needed and was up and running in literally in minutes and the first decision of course is Xamarin studio versus visual studio um, Visual Studio is a very comfortable place for me, so I tend to gravitate there. Although I was impressed that Xamarin Studio is really quite good, uh, I think I just know Visual Studio in, in a more comfortable way. And then when I started writing about it, I was lucky enough to be contacted by one of the principals at at Xamarin, who offered to uh, provide some help and put me in touch with one of their evangelists. And I haven't actually contacted him for help yet, but knowing that's available has dramatically increased my comfort. And so I've been able to be a little more exploratory. But most of my learning has been from your book and one other book that I purchased and a little bit from the documentation on the on the site.
1: Yeah, well it's, you know, just from my perspective it's it's a huge honor to know that, you know, my book is providing, you know, any help at all especially to someone like you. So that's, you know,
2: my head is is too big to fit through the internet as it is. So I don't <laughs> take it easy, but but your book is extraordinary. Um I it it's very approachable and it is um the only Concern I have with it is that I'm less interested in the cross platform for now, uh, which is certainly the focus of your book. But there's there are gems in there about Xamarin and Android programming, and so it's been a it's been excellent. And I've been using another book to triangulate. Sometimes it's good to get a couple different perspectives. Uh, and the Xamarin site also has some very good documentation for filling in wherever the confusion is. So. So far, it's been a pretty easy path, but I haven't really tackled anything terribly difficult. If you look at what I've been writing about, it's been pretty simple startup stuff of creating menus and putting widgets on the screen and moving from one screen to another, but nothing overly difficult yet.
1: So you mentioned that, you know, in addition to to the book I put out, you had another one that you were kind of cross-referencing with. Uh, Which book is that?
2: Oh, let me let me look it up. It'll just take me a moment. <laughs> my everything exists on my iPad and therefore not in my brain.
1: Uh-huh. Yes, uh, our surrogate because, brain.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I am a the bare earth, brain. little brain. <laughs> uh, it's called uh, Professional Android Programming with Mono. I think is what it's called. That would
0: be your yeah, book, right, John? Yeah, it's got a really long title, and uh, I'm, I'm sure Wally will Android be. Yes. Wally will be really happy to hear the plug out there for the the old book again. But yeah, there's a, about six of us. Uh, this, is, collaborating this is your on book? That. Oh,
2: actually, <laughs> I'm I was politely holding back my praise for the second book, but it is um, it's been integral in my learning as well. It's been uh, it's been great having the two because. You you know there are slightly different perspectives and slightly different angles and so I sort of bounce back and forth, Absolutely. Um, and I steal from you whole whole ideas. So <laughs> if you read my blog and it looks familiar, you'll know why.
1: Uh, <laughs> That's why we do it. Um, and you know before we jump off of the installer thing, one of the things I always kind of like to mention about the installer is just that you know it really is a uh, you know you run the installer and the Xamarin installer actually goes and downloads, you know, the Java SDK and the Android SDK and it sets up emulator images for you and all that. And I, I usually joke around with people and say that even if you want to do Java Android development, the Xamarin installer is actually the easiest way to go get the 8,000 little pieces you need to go do it, you know, and and then you end up with a much better tool set in Xamarin studio. Should you want to take that plunge?
2: (laughs) Yes, I, I agree. And I, I, have had some experience with Java, and I absolutely get the appeal, but I'm so much a .NET person and have been for so long that Xamarin really smooths that path out in a way that would not otherwise be possible. I did try, when I was working on Windows Phone, I did a short series on Windows Phone for iOS developers, and so I learned some iOS. But objective C is well, it may not be evil, but it's certainly unpleasant to go back to memory management in that way
1: it's a It's a different world for sure,
2: <laughs> so I'm hoping that xamarin will smooth that out for me i I just memory management is is just uh, it's a plague that I don't want to return to having lived without it for for over a decade
0: so one of the things that um, xamarin does for you is is familiarity with the platform you're working with, but I want to talk a little bit about how your learning went with the different component types and, and like the activities and all the lifecycle stuff that do with mm-hmm. Android and how that differs from a, a normal .NET developer experience.
2: Oh, yes, it differs not only from normal .NET, but it differs also from the way Windows Phone goes about things. So it is definitely a learning curve. One of the really interesting and surprising things about Android is that each activity is independent. And so there is no real application there in some sense. There's a series of activities that interact with each other, but might very well go off and interact with some activity from another application, as I understand it. And that is very different from, for example, Windows Phone, where you think about essentially pages within a single application. So that's been an interesting challenge. Uh, intents are also take a little while to get your head around what, you know, what their purpose is and how you interact with intents. So that, that's been part of the learning. Um, fortunately it's been, I've been, let me try that again in English. Fortunately, I've had the opportunity to take my time and so not necessarily tackle the really difficult parts yet. And that's given me an opportunity to get used to putting things up on the screen and moving from one activity to another. Uh, It's very interesting that when you turn the phone or turn your device, that it tears down the current activity and creates a new one, if I understand it properly.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's always it the. Uh, it's one of the first gotchas I think that every new Android developer hits is you know the the first time you you rotate your device suddenly your whole activity gets torn down you lose all your state you lose everything and you're just left there kind of like cursing at your emulator or device you know <laughs> like what the hell's going on I, at least I know, that's what I did the first time around until I, I read a book and figured out what was happening.
2: <laughs> yes, the good news was when I wrote, my, I did a blog post on persisting data. And how do you prove that the data is persisted? Well, all you have to do is tell the emulator to turn. And if the data is still there, congratulations, <laughs> you managed to persist. it
1: <laughs> Easily reproducible. And every, every,
2: yes, exactly. Every once in a while I get a uh, tweet from someone, usually Paul Betts, or someone else who will say, oh, you should check out doing this on Android or on Xamarin. And that points me in another direction to explore. So that's been a lot of fun. I, I would be, frankly, intimidated if my boss came to me and said, okay, you've been playing with Xamarin for a while now, here's a project, because I don't feel like, I feel like there's a huge gulf between these kind of early steps and writing a real project.
1: So one of the things, I mean, you're coming from a, a .NET background, I'm not sure it, how much time you spent, say, doing you know the old school, like ASP.NET web forms type approach, but you know, I, I had spent some time doing that, and when I got to Android and the activity lifecycle, I ended up finding a lot of similarities between the old, like, web forms, you know, page lifecycle with all the different events and, you know, basically constantly having to keep a chart in front of me with all the, the, the squares and arrows, figuring out when everything is supposed to happen. I mean, that's basically, that's usually how I end up explaining Android activities, too. I did you end up finding the same thing?
2: Uh, you know, I don't think I had that insight, but as you say it, it rings true and makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it, there are real similarities between classic ASP.NET's lifecycle and the activity lifecycle. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a powerful insight.
0: I'm surprised that uh, I don't have posters of the Android, act, you know, life cycles of activities and everything up on my wall yet. But uh, I think I might have to do something like that.
1: I think at this point you probably see them when you close your eyes or you go to sleep, right? You probably know them that well.
0: Well, there's more than seven steps, so I don't usually remember them too well.
2: (laughs) Yes, seven plus or minus two. One of the uh, questions I will throw back to you guys is I've had the luxury of just writing to a single emulator and not worrying yet about all the myriad versions and flavors of Android. And it seems like given the various sizes of devices and the various flavors of Android, that it could be very challenging to manage all of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a learning curve, I think, when you're doing work on Android. Um, and part of it I think is managing your different resources for your different types of devices, your different display densities and everything like that, or even, um, your different, um, screen sizes and, and and by that i mean like a tablet versus a phone or something like that where you might want to display completely different views or or multiple pieces of views in in one screen at a time depending um, but i think the the i the fragmentation there the idea that it's a lot harder is blown a little bit out of proportion and i mean if you think back to more of a an asp.net or a web world where if you design from the right out of the gate that your screen sizes might be a little bit different and and you know, you might need to make things flexible or, or fit into those screen sizes. I think it's a lot easier to go at it like that. Um, compared to something like iOS where, you know, they introduce a new screen size or a new resolution and all of a sudden you've got to create a whole new copy of all your assets and, and sort of change your, your code, uh, just to even detect the different screen sizes. Y- yes. Yeah.
1: I think I would agree. Go ahead, with, I'm I would agree with a lot of that. Um, I in- to some extent i think the fragmentation thing is is blown out of proportion but i think part of that it depends on like which parts of the fragmentation situation you're you're kind of talking about i know historically um and this has admittedly gotten a little better over the last year or two but historically a lot of the fragmentation problems i ran into were less so about you know screen resolution and density and and size and all that and more so just about the the things that each different vendor would do to the Android operating system before it would you know leave the factory on their phones so i would put out applications where you know, S- Samsung devices would decide to ignore certain styles that I had done or do their own thing or Motorola ones would do that. So you end up in this kind of like crazy situation where you need to constantly be testing on all these different devices just to know that, you know, not that it's even functionally going to work, but just that it's going to have the right color that you had you assigned it.
0: Yeah, I, I think I found that with um a lot of the older versions of Android, like you know, Froyo and and even gingerbread still, um, what I ended up usually doing is just basically overriding all the default styles and saying, Here's what my app looks like, here's all the, the different colors of all the elements that I need. That way you can be sure that, you know, on on one platform or one uh carrier or, or manufacturer's model the background of a text box isn't white while on another it's black and and you didn't explicitly set it to be gray, for instance. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Well, that's a, that's a good tip. And I'll take that tip. It's interesting to me that there's this spectrum where you have Apple on one end, which totally controls the hardware and totally controls the software and totally dictates how things are going to be. And then sort of in the middle, you have Microsoft that put out this huge specification that the phones have to meet, but they don't actually manufacture the phones at least not yet and then you have this more anarchic world of of android where almost not true that anything goes but but where you have this real range of input from vendors and phone maker manufacturers and tablet manufacturers and and yet android is doing as far as i can tell extremely well in the marketplace
1: yeah, they definitely are, I and mean, you could tell that Google in the last like year or two is really trying to rein in this whole fragmentation problem too. I and mean, you could see them, you know, they purchased Motorola Mobility, and you know, the so the Moto X just came out that they're pushing. They have the whole Nexus line that the you know they're trying to to push more and more. Like Nexus used to be basically a developer phone, you know, three years ago or something, and now they're, mm-hmm. it's pretty much just a premier phone that you can get off contract that a lot of people, you know, quote unquote normal people are just using as their phone. So I think they, they kind of like saw
0: the problem and they're they're reacting to it a little bit. And I think a lot of manufacturers now are starting to be a little bit more happy with what Google's done in general with the operating system. Like I think back in the the younger days they felt it necessary to make a bunch of modifications because really the Android itself wasn't that great at that point in time. Um but now with um you know Google's doing a lot more with the look and feel and everything and, and yeah, every manufacturer still seems to want to brand uh, the device to some extent, but they seem to be doing it more with, you know, the launcher and apps and not messing as much with the, the styles of apps and everything like that. And I, I think with the fragmentation issue, another thing that's, that's really been helping and Google doesn't get enough credit for it um, is the whole Google play services layer of things. So Google's actually updating uh, a whole bunch of different core code and it's updating it on, you know, phones all the way back to Froyo basically. Um, so like the new location features, as long as you're on a, a phone that, that is uh, certified for Google Play services, you can pretty much count on on that API being there for you, no matter you know if it's Froyo or Gingerbread or Ice Cream Sandwich or whatever.
2: Right. Well, I'm at the point where it's time to get a device. I I have uh, I personally have gone back to using the iPhone, and I have a really nice Windows phone. And don't ask me why I went back to the iPhone. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> but but I did. Um, but I and I've been doing my Android work with the emulator. But I think I need to get at least one Android device, if if not more than one. Is there one that developers tend to favor, or is everybody's own personal taste?
0: I guess I'll probably have to speak up on this since uh, Greg's in iOS uh, Apple fanboy land over there. But uh, oh please, <laughs> I, I, I'm sporting the uh, Nexus 4 right now, and it's been uh, I've been traditionally an iOS guy or an iPhone guy. Up, I've had like every model up until you know the five, uh, including the five, and I I bought a Nexus 4, and as a developer, that's been a a really great platform uh, to work with. And not only is it a good phone, it's just it's nice to be able to see sort of what. Google intends Android to be. And then you can base your own, uh, you know, development baselines and guidelines off of what they're showing you how they expect it to be so that you're a little bit more in line with just the best practices of Android in general. So, I mean, having said that, I I would say definitely the Nexus five is, I mean, it's a cheap phone for the specs that they're giving you. Um, I think it's like even the 32 gigs, like 400 off contract, which is, uh, just phenomenal compared to you know buying an iPhone off contract. Yeah, so really? That would be the the go-to, I think, is a, kind of a no-brainer. And then on top of that, if you're going to branch out into more, I would say uh, given that Samsung's got such a huge share of the market, of the Android market, they're definitely one to look at just to learn some of the idiosyncrasies of their platform as well.
2: Okay, good. That Thank you. That will be very helpful, and I will try to pick up a Nexus 5 um, that sounds like, $400 is manageable, and uh, if I could only figure out a way to turn this into a plural site course, then, <laughs> then, then it would be much better. But uh, that, that's, interestingly, uh, there are quite a few, I believe there are quite a few Xamarin courses in the pipeline uh, coming, so there's real interest um, in what Xamarin is doing and in using it as a development platform.
1: Right. So kind of jumping off the, the fragmentation point a little bit, you know, back into the kind of the world of the Android SDK. Um, in your, your initial exploration of, of Android and how everything works, have you, have you had a chance to really dig into the whole, like the way that resources are, are set up and, you know, delegated out in, in Android?
2: Well, only at the most superficial level, but I'm all ears if you want to talk about that. I, I'd be fascinated.
1: Well, and I'd, I'd to start out with, I'd, I'd be very curious to hear, you know, what your take is on it. I mean, I think one of the advantages of, you know, like having you on to to talk about it is to kind of hear, you know, like a fresh perspective on it. Like, like I, we're we're both tainted with, you know, a couple of years of knowing something, so it's it's all too easy to kind of gloss over, you know, how stuff works
2: right i think i have been skirting it frankly um there are places where you can put strings into resources and i have played with that some and that has been pretty straightforward but there are a number of other places where resources come into play and it wasn't obvious to me how to put that together with what i was trying to do and it was pretty clear i didn't have to yet because as I say, what I'm doing is so far fairly simple. So I haven't really tackled that problem. It It isn't obvious the relationship with resources and where they physically are and how you interact with them. That's not blatantly obvious. So I sort of put it off until I'm, you know, I'm forced to confront it. Um, how hard, how big a challenge am I looking at? Is it is it even harder than I think?
0: Well, no, it's. I don't think that's hard. I mean, from a .NET developer's perspective, it's kind of like, well, it's mimicking how it's done natively in Java on Android, right? So Xamarin doesn't really hide the fact that that's how Android works, and that they use different folders for different resources, which is a really good thing in a lot of ways, because you can go back to the, the Google documentation, and it rings true for the, exactly what you're doing on Xamarin. And that's, I think, a really uh, big selling point for, for how they do it. But uh, in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like, well, uh, you know, everything else that Java feels like to a .NET developer, it's a little bit different than you're used to, and, and they do things in a way that you're kind of like, well, why did you do it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's a little bit weird to work with, but I, I think it's it's definitely not that difficult. It's just maybe very verbose, I guess, is the way I would describe it. Yeah, I think that's true. I, On the whole, I actually
1: think it's a, a pretty elegant solution to you know, being able to easily support and scale up to, you know, different languages and different device sizes and stuff. I mean, in a, in a nutshell for how it works, I mean, if you have your, your resources folder and then under that you can have, there are different categories of resources. So you have like drawables, which are images or, you know, image-like things. You have, um, you know, you can have assets, you can have layouts, which is how you specify your view layouts. You can have strings and so on. Um, but then, where the the really elegant part, in my opinion, comes in, is that you can you can have different versions of each of those folders with different conventions on them. So you can have layout dash land, or um, so that th- anything in that folder would take precedence if the the phone or you know tablet or whatever was switched into landscape mode. Or you can have dash. ES, if you want it to be the Spanish version of the, the strings. And then when you're programming against it, what you end up doing is just referencing, it's just an integer, basically, to, uh, integer reference to one of those resources which when I when I first started with Android I remember finding it like extremely strange that I would ever reference you know I'd reference all my views and my strings and all this stuff by an integer but then you realize that it it just lets the the operating system you know plug in based on the the device settings and all this stuff you know kind of automatically fit into to to what what fits the device or or what the user's preferences are
2: yeah but you're right I know I noticed kind of a skin crawl when i first ran into using in, integers for references in that way and and it just felt odd and 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 off but but i think it's one of those things that you acclimate to and it becomes very natural and then you sort of stop noticing it after a while but i'm still okay. early enough that it's you know where why are these funky numbers here and and how are you supposed to know what reference is what and so forth and uh uh, I'm looking over the. I put a table of contents of the articles that I've written so far, and the th- the uh, fourth article is called "Weirdness Explained," mm-hmm. and so that that was where I ran into the whole strangeness of of activities and their life cycle, and then the next one was actually on application life cycle, um, but it's it's one of the nice things about Xamarin. I don't I don't know if this is Android in general or or Xamarin specifically makes this easier is that you can approach the building of an application in in relatively small discrete steps you don't have to know everything to know anything you can you can build a plain page and then add some controls to that page and then move to another page and then add menus in and sort of build it up step by step which makes learning it a whole lot less intimidating.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that is actually just the the Android, you know, the basic Android framework underneath and how it's set up. Um, Xamarin definitely does a lot in its tooling to, to make the experience nicer. And it, you know, it has a lot of things like using attributes instead of XML configuration. So it's all right in front of you instead of being tucked away in some really weird XML file that you'll constantly forget what the syntax is and things like that. Um, but overall I, I do agree at the, the Android architecture is basically set up in a very component based way where you can just, you know, keep plugging in new things or, or kind of
0: just adding on top of what you have. And I think fragments, um, I don't know if you've dealt with those at all yet, Jesse, but those definitely break things down a little bit more for you too. It's almost like mini activities. Um, and you can have multiple fragments in a single activity. Uh, I know. Greg's been doing a little bit of work, I think, with some of the, some fragment stuff. Um, so they add kind of a, a new challenge of and complexity to what you've already learned in terms of the activities and their life cycles. But they're fairly similar, and they do break things down to into more bite-sized chunks.
2: Are, are there Android developers who know Java or know Android and choose to do Xamarin because it is a nicer environment, or is Xamarin really exist for those of us who are transitioning out of .NET world.
0: I I don't think I've run into too many developers that have said, you know, I I come from Java and and I'm doing it this way. And I think um, there maybe isn't really a huge reason to, to be doing that except for, and and it is a really big reason that you're able to share a lot of your code if you're going to do a a more cross-platform strategy, right? So, I mean, that would be the obvious advantage for, for a Java developer to be using Xamarin's tool set is if you wanted to get into doing iOS and Windows Phone, then you're definitely going to be you know, sharing a lot of code and saving a lot of time than just doing it in Java. Yeah. Well, plus then you don't have
1: to use Java anymore. So there's a win too. Well, yeah. <laughs> but usually those Java guys, they they
0: don't agree with it They actually us, uh, like yeah. it.
1: They have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome going on there. They I like.
0: Think. Yeah, They like setting <laughs> click listeners all over the place. I don't know. I like
2: Stockholm Syndrome for Java Developers. That's <laughs> brilliant.
0: You heard it here on Gone Mobile. It's the a new book title I heard.
2: <laughs> I, I have to confess to you that I was – my only hesitation on coming onto your show is that I am so early in my learning curve that we quickly run out of what I know. But in terms of the perspective you were asking about of a real newbie – I would say that the biggest surprise has been that the learning curve hasn't been very steep, at least not yet. Now, for all I know, there's a bend in that curve coming up, and 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 I'll run right into that. But so far, it's been fairly smooth.
1: I think and that's that's definitely really interesting to hear. Um, I, you know, there are there any aspects of you know the the framework that you know you've found particularly tricky so far that we kind of haven't touched on yet?
2: Um, There hasn't been, but but as I say, I've only really scratched the surface. When I start thinking about, for example, interacting with servers or how notifications work, I assume there's a push notification capability, and I assume that doing so is non-trivial because it always is. Um, you know, then I I think you may start seeing what's left of my hair coming out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, out of all the platforms, um, and, and I only know this because I've, I've done a lot of work in push notifications and I've, I'll put a shameless plug in for my push sharp library, uh, that lets you send notifications to iOS, Android, Windows phone, Windows, and a whole bunch more platforms. But anyway, um, the, uh. Android certainly makes it the hardest of all the platforms to implement from a client perspective. And and that's a bit unfortunate, but it's a bit um, required, I guess, just by the nature of how Android is architected, where, you know, there's no real, like you said earlier, there's no real concept of an application as much as a set of activities.
2: Yeah, well, that's bad news. Thanks. <laughs> now I'm worried because because I I think on some levels because of Azure Mobile Services, Windows Phone probably has it easiest to do that, and it's still not trivial by any measure. You know, I love the fact that they say, well, you can set up push notification with five lines of code, and you can yeah. after about three days of setup. But <laughs>
0: you know, yeah, the, the setup isn't so bad on the Android side, but uh, when you're when you're ready at that step, uh, just you know, send me a. a tweet and uh, I'll point you at some resources. I've, I've got some client samples in my Push Sharp project too that um, show how to implement it from the client perspective, whether or not you want to use uh, my server-side library or Azure or, or some other uh, notification system.
2: So d- does your library talk to one of the existing notification services or or is it standalone or how does that work
0: Yeah it, it's um well I guess it, a lot of some people get confused because there's kind of two parts there's the client and the server side of things right so my primary focus was creating a server side library that you can use in your own .net applications to actually communicate with say Google's um Google Cloud mes- messaging service and Apple's push notification service and Microsoft's you know all the server side parts of it to actually get it into their hands so they can route it to the device
2: Got it no, that sounds great. I'll definitely be uh, knocking at your door when I get to that point.
0: So then, if there,
1: you know, if there weren't any other real parts so far that you've hit that, you know, were particularly challenging. I mean, is there anything else that stands out at you, you know, as someone coming from, you know, a C sharp background, the .NET background, that you know, you felt particularly at home, you know, either in the Android framework or in Xamarin's tools or or anything like that.
2: Well, I definitely felt that. Xamarin was targeted right at me as a C-sharp developer and as a .NET guy that they were going out of their way to make the metaphors reasonably similar and reasonably understandable and the code you you know there's nothing really funky that I've run into yet where you say that's C-sharp but I would never write C-sharp like that I haven't had that yet Um, I'm, I'm sure some of that's lurking because there's only so much you can you can smooth out and and i wouldn't expect android programming to be trivial by any measure um i'm sure it's it gets really complex i think that for me having the ability to go at it slowly makes it a very pleasant experience whereas if on the other hand this conversation is motivating me to put a little bit more time into it because I would like to move along and and and, and learn a little bit more quickly, but that 's still different than being at it forty hours a week, which would be a whole different experience, and you would be getting a very different kind of feedback i 'm sure
0: so do you have any you know apps on the horizon uh, obviously're you're, you're learning this uh, and, and kind of taking the the smaller steps, but i 'm assuming that 's with some uh, bigger purpose in mind.
2: Well, my main goal is to be useful to Falafel. Falafel is definitely making a big commitment to mobile, and we have uh, an application that's already on all three platforms for managing uh, scheduling of, of conferences. Uh so if I can be useful to them in maintaining or extending that or working on other kinds of mobile consulting over time, that'll be terrific. Uh, mostly, m- the reason that I'm learning this is that I'm interested in it. It's, it's uh, a logical extension of stuff I have done before, and also, frankly, Falafel's really big mobile commitment. At some point, they're going to say, you know all hands on deck, we've got this big project, and I'd like to be ready but they you know their event board I don't know if you're familiar with their event board product, but it's uh it's been quite popular and it's being used at some very, very large conferences and sometimes you can tell it's event board and sometimes it's branded for the conference but it it really does it's one of those apps that you say, well, of course this exists I mean how could it not you know but they they really made it smooth and powerful. And uh, I'll just keep plugging event board until you jump in with another question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I was, I was taking a quick look through, uh, you know, through the, the blog post that you have, like I said, I've, I've been following those as, as you put them out. Um, and there was one that I, th- I thought was interesting, and might be worth kind of expanding on a little bit where you talk about, you know, preserving state with JSON and, you know, passing state from one activity to another to kind of you know, keep your place as you move throughout your app. Can you expand on that a little bit?
2: Sure. This was, again, I have to mention Paul Betts because this was at (laughs) his suggestion. I think I actually say that in the article. Yes, I do. Uh, I received a tweet from my friend Paul Betts of GitHub saying, one thing that's super useful is to use json.net to stuff off objects in the bundle. That was intriguing. I had no idea what he meant by stuff off objects in the bundle. (laughs) I did learn, Um, but initially... uh, I was completely befuddled. Um, it fit nicely because I've been using JSON quite a bit, obviously, with the web uh, stuff that I've been doing. And so it fit nicely with that. And it solved the problem of maintaining state across the teardown of an of a activity and the creation of another activity. And it seemed like a pretty elegant solution. Part of the reason that I wrote the blog post was to write up what I had learned, and part was to see if I got feedback from people who actually know Android and or Xamarin to say, no, idiot, there's a much easier way or a better way. But so far, I haven't gotten anything saying that, so I'm assuming this is a reasonable thing to do.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's one of those, like, if it, if it gets the job done for you... Um... You know, I, and unless you're serializing really, really giant objects, which is going to have obvious problems with it, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable. I, I do similar things in
0: applications that I build too. If that, you know, for better or for worse, if it makes you feel better or not. But well, that's not too dissimilar to the the Windows, well, at least the Windows Phone patterns that I experienced a little bit. I haven't done a lot of development on Windows Phone, but I've done a, a little bit, and it it kind of strikes me the same as you know passing things between pages. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe I've, I've always done things not the right way, but that was always one uh, option that I had used is, is maybe serializing some data and, and saving it somewhere or passing it that way. So um, I don't know. Is there is there a better way in, in Windows or Windows Phone that, that you've uh, worked with?
2: No, I think that you put the – I mean, it ultimately it comes down to putting the data in a known place. Um, you can use isolated storage for longer term. Persistence, excuse me, for longer-term persistence, but it would be sort of silly for just moving from page to page. Uh, you can, there are m- mechanisms, as I understand it, in 8.1, but I'm not 100% familiar, that allow you to pass data to as you navigate uh, or to reach in and grab that data when you navigate. Uh but but Android, I think, has a, a really different life cycle. I, they're not really comparable. Android's life cycle is very much focused on that activity, and and they're more much more independent of each other than is true in Windows Phone.
0: Yeah, and I know one of the, the things that I ran into at first, and think that's fairly common, is people start to, to do things like using static uh, variables or static instances of things in their application. And... You know, that seems to work at first until you maybe run into a situation where uh, your app is killed and then you've just lost whatever you are storing. So I think that the serialization is a pretty sane way to do it. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Glo- global namespace objects give me the willies. Yeah,
1: for good reason. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the other lessons. I mean, we talked earlier about, you know, you learn the lesson the hard way of when you rotate your device, suddenly you lose everything on your screen. Uh, one of the other things i think you learn often the hard way with android is that you know if you're not visibly looking at your activity the you know you can make no you can make no assumptions that the os is ever going to keep that around and it may have to kind of respawn itself from scratch the next time so you know you kind of get burned by that
2: yes that that's also different from what i'm used to with windows phone i mean windows phone definitely has the idea of your app being suspended and that you need to save your state on suspension because it can be terminated without notice. But there is a difference in the way that Android handles that in terms of the minute, or the, just simply occluding, blocking the application causes the real potential for it to be, for you to have to restore state, and and so it, it is somewhat different.
1: So, I mean, on, kind of on the topic of, you know, similarities and dissimilarities between Windows phone, uh, I'd be curious to hear your take on, you know, kind of like the, the layout system that Android has. I mean, you know, it uses an XML-based layout, which I guess is is similar to XAML without all the fancy data binding and things like that. Um, but I, yeah. I always found kind of a lot of similarities between, you know, the limited amount of XAML that I do know and kind of what's in the, the Android stack. I'm curious to hear what you found.
2: It doesn't feel to me that the Android, and again, my experience is limited, but it does not feel like the Android approach is nearly as elegant or powerful as the Windows XAML approach. XAML is is both a very powerful layout system and also a declarative programming system. And so between the fact that you can create uh, columns and rows and place things where you want in XML and then do data binding which is which is very powerful uh both a very powerful technique in itself and it also allows you to use an m v star pattern typically m v v m so that's something that I became very comfortable with in and Android feels like layout is more primitive and that you're more on your own for getting things to look the way you want. Now, I have zero design capability, Mm -hmm. so I like when the system helps me make it look okay. And with Android, I feel more at sea that I'm more on my own to get it to look right. So my solution to that is to make dead, ugly applications so no one thinks I tried to make it look
1: good. (laughs) That's why we have designers
2: that's correct, yeah,
1: I mean, if it makes you feel better, i'm you know a couple of years into the framework, and I still make dead ugly uIs so yeah. no, I do feel better yeah <laughs> absolutely you know I mean, you know the the upshot of it is that every new version of Android gets a little nicer looking, so by default, if you
0: just use all the stock stuff, you know in a few years it'll look really nice. <laughs> well, I- <laughs> And actually, I mean, if you start with, like, um, I guess ice cream sandwich, um, Honeycomb, you can pretty much count out. I don't know if you've uh, taken the time to look at the stats that Google put out. Or they put out every month about what the percentage of different operating system versions are on all the devices. And it looks like now we're pretty much able to forget about Froyo, and that's a pretty small number.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, honeycomb, like the 3.x series, is is not even a consideration, I don't think. Um, and so we've still got a, a bigger chunk on gingerbread, but I kind of think like after we get past the, the gingerbread curve, we can start using the hollow themes and, and Google, that's where they really stepped up making things look a lot better. Um, so I think I know in a few of my apps I've, I've even, you know, if they're for sort more internal use or personal use, I've just gone ahead and said, you know, well, who cares about gingerbread? I'm just targeting four and up. And then at that point, um, you can use a, a nicer looking theme. And uh does, does a little bit more work for you, and you don't have to be such a, a designer to make your apps look decent. I just always find the gingerbread look and feel is just uh, intolerable. Yeah, well, it's very old at this
1: point, so it's it's tough to even blame them. It's like call, saying that, you know, blaming Microsoft now for how IE6 looks for people still suck on it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yes, but there are people still stuck on IE6, amazingly. One of the wonderful things that has happened in the web world is that Bootstrap came along, and then Bootswatch came along. And so you can purchase a theme that goes well beyond just basic colors and, and allows you to create an application that looks at least good, if not great, and, and bang that out very quickly. And I really hope that the phone folks, both at, at all of them, at Microsoft, at Apple, and at Google, get on board with something similar because it makes a huge difference. It's very hard for people to look past the user interface design and see the functionality. If it doesn't look nice, it's very hard to, to take it at all seriously.
0: Well, one of the things that might be interesting to look out for is, and Greg, I think you've done a little bit more playing around with, um, Pixate, uh, it's a a company making a product that basically, uh, their Android version isn't out yet, uh, or I don't even think in beta yet, but for iOS you can, yeah, you can basically turn, uh, common elements and stuff and style them with a CSS like markup, um, so that you're moving some of that design out into a more, I guess it's more web-like approach. I don't know, Greg, you can probably expand on that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've as John said, I've played with the the iOS one a bit that
1: they've had out for, uh, I think it came out earlier this year or something. I haven't shipped anything with it, but I've kind of kept an eye on it. You know, being a web guy and also knowing how difficult this stuff is to style and you know how many different places you have to touch to style an app, you know, having some you know something that's CSS like, but really just having you know one place that I can define an app style was was huge. Uh, and they actually did. Um, I saw that earlier. I think it was earlier this week or maybe late last week that they yeah. they shipped their first like super pre alpha of the Android build that I haven't had a chance to check out yet personally, but I'm pretty excited for that because I've always had a much harder time personally styling Android
0: apps than I have with iOS apps. Yeah, when you start looking at styling Android, it's a lot more um, doing stuff in you know resource files and and making a lot of XML file. Markup just to do some simple like color changes on certain controls and everything. It's it gets pretty messy and and I'm I always get confused when I go down that road. So it'd be nice to have a, a simpler way to markup styles. Yes,
2: that would be great. So I got to ask you guys. It, it, this must be a much less technical show than you usually do. What um, <laughs> and I confess that I have not yet, but will now be a subscriber to your show. <laughs> but but will I understand what you're That's talking two. about?
1: <laughs> there you go. i think so i mean we haven't been so first of all we are, we are a pretty new podcast i mean this will be episode seven i think um six you're getting ahead six. of yourself damn <laughs> yeah giving us too much credit so this will be episode six <laughs> um but you know we we try to like really cover the the whole spectrum i mean we've had we actually, you mentioned Paul Betts a few times. We had him on the show kind of digging deep into reactive UI and his reactive programming. Uh, but we've also just had, you know, you know, open conversations about stuff or talking about what's new in iOS 7 or, or things like that. So I think the, the aim is to kind of appeal to, you know, all levels of, you know, people interested in this space, not just, you know, it doesn't always have to be a deep dive into to something crazy.
2: Great. Well, I'll definitely be subscribing. I'll tell you a fast Paul Bett story is that uh, I really wanted to learn reactive UI. And so I convinced him to write a book with me on link and reactive UI, which we did. And so the book is published and I now get questions about reactive UI and I point them all to him <laughs> because I still do not completely have my head around it. Now, it's interesting that he was talking about that on a mobile show. Is 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 reactive UI... Something that you're using in your Android or Apple development.
1: So I'm not personally using it, though I'm really mm-hmm. interested to to kind of dig into it. But he does have uh, you know versions of Reactive UI out for iOS and Android now, so you you can use all that stuff across platform, which is really cool.
2: Amazing, just amazing. Well, it is it is fascinating. It's kind of link for futures link for things that haven't arrived yet if that makes any sense Hmm. and uh and and it is an extremely useful library but it's not easy to completely you know understand it and and incorporate it into your programming i i I don't think there's any doubt about that i did learn a tremendous amount about link along the way of writing that so there was you know nothing lost but uh, but paul has a internalized understanding of, of reactive extensions that is just extraordinary. So we'll make this the Paul Bet show.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It'll You'll be a, a, a subtitle on the episode title there. <laughs> there <you go>. <laughs> <laughs> so he's been on like one and a half episodes now. That's, that's, that's right. pretty good. <laughs> um, it's funny
2: that you know him. It, it is really a small industry. It, it's, it, it, I'm constantly reminded of how small an industry this is. And, and, you know, I moved from Telerik to falafel, and I spend 80% of my time doing work on Telerik products. It's it's interesting that certain vendors and certain people you run into in many, many places. and uh, So be careful who you're mean to because <laughs> it'll come back to you.
0: Well, we just need Telerik to start making some uh, controls for iOS and Android uh, in the Xamarin space. So that would be kind of cool.
2: It would be shocking to me if you didn't see that. I, you know, Telerik is growing and expanding and doing all sorts of interesting stuff. And, and I can speak freely because I don't work there and I don't have any inside knowledge. <laughs> but it would just surprise the heck out of me if you did not see that.
0: That's maybe something to touch on real quick, too. Have you? Did you get a chance to play around at all with the component store and then how that fits into the whole equation of developing?
2: No, but tell me about it.
0: Oh, well, it's... Uh, <laughs> Turn <laughs> that around. <laughs> Well played. It's it's, it's kind of <laughs> like NuGet, but uh, a little bit different. And actually, I'll and here's another nice chance to plug. I did a, a Xamarin seminar recently on uh, making cross-platform uh, components for the component store. So it explains it a little bit better in there, and and what it is and why it's different than NuGet and everything. But in in a short sentence, now that I've already talked about it for a few. It's basically NuGet, but more specialized for Xamarin platforms, mm-hmm. and it gives gives people the ability to sell components on it too, which is one of the main differentiators, but really cool, really easy to drag or to load components into your app um, you know, and get started right away. There's everything from like SQLite to um, some different controls and, and just all sorts of good stuff in there.
2: And that sounds like an important thing for me to learn about as well.
0: Yeah, it's definitely nice and easy.
1: And, you know, it, it's, as John said, it's basically like NuGet, except it also, every every package comes with, you know, a sample project that you can add to your solution if you want to check out how it works and you could, you know, run it right away. Or they have like a video of kind of getting started. So it's a little more, there's more rich content that comes along with the package in addition yeah, to just the DLLs. Which is- Let
2: me, if I may, turn it around for just a second and ask you a question. We have, I should be clear. There are some folks at Falafel who know mobile inside and out, and our VP of Mobile, Lance Bullock, said that he feels strongly that even if you're learning Android programming through Xamarin, you need to understand the native Android programming, and if you're learning iOS through Xamarin, you need to understand the native iOS, the you know the hardcore original native development do you do you agree with that or or do you feel like you can just learn xamarin and and not learn the, the 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 original or i don't know what the right word is intrinsic development environment
1: i I think personally I think there's a lot of truth to that um, i don't know that I would take it to the point of uh, i'm not sure to the extent that he meant it, but i wouldn't say that you need to be in the case of Android you know you know, like a real, like JavaScript wizard, or in the case of iOS, like you need to know Mm -hmm. objective C itself inside and out. I find that it helps to have a, you know, what I just call like a working, like uh, a reading knowledge of those languages, because, you know, you go out on the internet and, you know, all the samples you're going to find are going to be in objective C or Java for the most part. So being able to kind of understand what's going on there. um, And, you know, because you in the, on the Xamarin side, you have the same class names, you have the same you know, project structure and the same SDKs, you know, you're able to, as long as you can translate in your head between those languages, it's pretty easy to make the jump. Um, and that's kind of one of the important things of Xamarin is it doesn't abstract away the platform, just the language. So Mm -hmm. you can, you share your code, but you still get all the, the native platform stuff. So you definitely, you don't get away from
0: having to learn that for sure. Yeah, I, I'd agree. It forces you into learning how to deal with all of the different APIs on each native platform, anyway. So you do definitely need to have a, a good knowledge of how that works, and that just lends itself well to to finding samples, like you said, Greg. But I, I've kind of found it interesting that I often will search for things now, and it you know even if I don't throw in a keyword like uh, Monotouch, uh, you know the old name for Xamarin.iOS, or or MonoDroid. Um, I sometimes find I'm, I'm stumbling across C sharp samples for those platforms anyway, depending on what I'm searching on. So there's a lot of good stuff out there in, on stack overflow, uh, in terms of people answering about how something works in C sharp anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I, I agree. And, and I come from a background of, I started, I made one little app, uh, in objective C before, uh, before MonoTouch was even around. So I learned a little bit of objective C. I learned enough to know that i don't want to ever write it if I don't have to. And I didn't do any of the Java stuff with Android before I started on Android. Now I had, you know, as a C-sharp developer, Android's a lot more similar, or sorry, Java's a lot more similar anyway. Um, but I kind of had the the contrast of, of learning the two platforms both ways where I, one, I knew the language before I started on the C-sharp side and the other, I didn't. And, um, Learning and going, not having known the Java side of things first, didn't seem to really hinder my my progress too much.
2: Okay, great. That's great to know. Uh, my My long-term plan is to pick up the pace and 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 learn more Xamarin for Android, and then, of course, expand into Xamarin for iOS, and then at some point turn my attention to Icenium as a alternative approach to building applications and and be able to understand and talk intelligently about the choices of of a web-based versus a uh, I can't I just block the term for mixed model uh, a hybrid application or or a native application.
1: Well, it sounds like we're going to have to have you back on the show, you know, sometime down the line to to talk about all the new stuff. Yeah,
2: that would be great. That would be great. Maybe I can actually say something intelligent. That would be terrific.
1: <laughs> I think there was some of that in this one too. I mean, kind of before we wrap things up, I mean, is there anything that you think of that, you know, we, we kind of glossed over or missed or, or anything that you want to chat about?
2: Well, no, I think I think we covered in some detail the extent that I've gone into Xamarin. I, I do get the impression that there's a lot there and that the more I dig, the more I'm going to find. Um, my hope is that Either the learning curve will stay fairly smooth or, you know, a penny will drop somewhere and I'll really sort of get what's going on and be able to produce some useful apps. But at the moment, I feel like I'm in the tinkering stage rather than really diving deep. So I'm going to take you up on that offer and, and hopefully in, you know, six months or something, I can come back and have a whole different perspective of having gone through
1: the learning I think that would be awesome. Uh, so in that case, I, I think that makes a show. Um, you know, huge thanks to, to Jesse for coming on the show. You know, thanks to John for my co-host once again, and thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode of Gone Mobile. Thanks, guys. Thanks.